The Fields Auto Group proudly presents Huddle Up, Huddle Up. with Bucky Brooks, <laughs> J.P. Shacker, John Osher, and NFL Network analyst and former Jaguar Bucky Brooks bring you the latest on your Jacksonville Jaguars. Everything's got to be about the future. It's got to be about tomorrow and bringing all that into focus as we, you know, attack the season. Huddle Up with Bucky Brooks starts right now. And welcome in. It's week nine. The Jaguars and the Raiders coming up. And welcome into Huddle Up with Bucky Brooks, J.P. Shadrick, John Osher. Busy show ahead. We'll preview that matchup. The game this week presented by CSX at the bank. The Raiders, they played in New Orleans last week and have been practicing in Florida. I think down in Sarasota most of the week. They'll be up here for the game on Sunday against the Jags. The Raiders at 2-5. and five. The Jaguars at 2-6. and six. We've got some social media questions. The Jaguars made another transaction right before the deadline. A trade for a player who'll be here next year. We'll get to that coming up. And uh, we welcome in Bucky Brooks now from L.A. And good afternoon, Bucky. What's up? Here we are. It's week number nine. Here we go. Week number nine. But we're starting over. It's week number one. Just trying to go 1-0 and this week. Get back on track. How about that? How about that? Uh, indeed. We'll get to the game coming up, John. But the big news uh, at least the last day or so at the trade deadline. The Jags made one transaction, uh, of course, a week or so ago, and James Robinson going to the Jets. They made another one right before the deadline. Calvin Ridley coming over from the Falcons. He's been suspended since uh, March and traded yesterday before the deadline. He can apply for reinstatement in February of next year, 23, is when he can reapply for uh, can apply for reinstatement. So, a lot of questions around this, Bucky, but if he's right, you've got a first-round talent on your team now moving ahead. Uh, if he's right, you talk about a top-10 wide receiver on your hands. You have to remember, this dude is a true number one. He stepped in and replaced Julio Jones uh, and did it very, very well for the Atlanta Falcons uh, a couple years ago. Now, we haven't seen him play in two seasons. He missed last season due to personal reasons. This year, he's suspended by the league. But make no mistake about it, this dude is someone who can do it all. Outstanding route runner, um, kind of has sneaky speed and quickness to be able to get behind the defense. But he's very, very comfortable being the lead receiver. And so when you think about the potential composition of the wide receiver core, where you have Calvin Ridley, you have Christian Kirk, you have Zay Jones, and even if Marvin Jones is, is back available, you now have route runners. And so to me, I think this is a perfect move because your eye towards 2023 but what you're doing is you're making sure that you give Trevor Lawrence a legitimate number one receiver to anchor this passing game around. Yeah, it, and there's so much time to talk about sort of the nuances of this deal, uh, JP and Bucky. But to me, I kept going on, I kept going over it uh, last night. I texted Bucky and said, hey, uh, what do you think? And he said, great move. Uh, so I trust that because it's his show, right? I, you know, I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it's what choice do I have? But overall, it, it, it feels right, even beyond him being a one. Uh, in terms of how you're trying to build this roster, it feels right because, frankly, they're going to have stuff to do next offseason beyond just wide receiver. I think the consensus is they need a one who can stretch the field. They need the talent that Ridley's going to bring. But it also feels like they're going to need corner. It feels like they need some other spots around the roster that really, if you're going to get premium your best off picking in the first round. It felt like they were going to need to go first round wide receiver to me until this move. So in terms of what they're trying to build roster wise, if you can bring a guy like this in without burning off a first round pick and have a couple 
more or have one more. I, in that sense, it's, it's a no-brainer for really, in terms of draft capital, Bucky, very low risk in terms of what they gave up. Yeah, very low risk. And there are a couple of things to consider. You talked about the draft. Whenever you are in charge of your decision maker, the one thing you do is you look at who's available potentially on the free agent market versus who could be available in the draft. This year's draft does not have necessarily the star power at wide receiver that we've seen in recent drafts. The other thing that I think we have to consider, uh, Marvin Jones is in the last year of his deal. And so when we think about Marvin Jones being 32 years old, he'd be an unrestricted free agent. This now gives you a natural replacement for him if he's not re-signed. And when you think about Marvin Jones and his skill set, Calvin Ridley has that skill set plus younger, more explosive, more dynamic playmaker uh, on the perimeter. So to me, this is a move that protects against that while also ensuring that if we don't like someone in the draft, we have someone in place who I would say will already be better than someone that you could bring in in the draft. So to me, what you've done is you've already upgraded your wide receiver court next year by getting a player who's experienced, who we've seen do work in this league. Uh, I like the move. I think the main thing is just making sure that Calvin Ridley is right. Uh, whatever issues plagued him during his uh, last few years at Atlanta, you wanna make sure that all that stuff is resolved and then you're getting a good football player. I will also say this because I'm personally attached to him and to Christian Kirk, watching these guys grow up in high school, uh, having coached these guys at various events. These are really, really good guys and really good guys that kind of fit on the squad. I just really like the move because I think both of these guys are going to benefit one another playing opposite each other. I got a question for the GM, and I, I assume Bucky will be a GM <laughs> at, at some point. Uh, if, you're, if you're Trent, um, how tough is this move to make? I mean, I mean it's, it's, there is some risk involved. Uh, there's a lot that goes into it, and you are trying to look at the future. You're trying to figure out uh, what you're giving up, what that might cost you. How complex was this, and how much of a, uh, I guess, gutsy decision is it? Uh, I mean, I think it's it's a little complex only because of the unknown, right? You haven't seen the player play for two years, so you just don't know where he's at in terms of conditioning and skills and, and those things. And so that's part of it. The other part of it is what 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 happened in Atlanta? Like, why did it go awry in Atlanta? Like, the personal reasons, like, why did he leave? Uh, the gambling incident or whatever, you can investigate. You get all that information from the league, uh, whether it's a careless mistake or whether it's part of a problem that he's having to deal with, all of that stuff you have to resolve. I think the main thing is when you're Trent Balking, you've gone down this path before. Like you think about having to take Alden Smith at San Francisco and the success that came from that. You might be a bit of a risk taker when it may come to some players that some would deem to be character risk, but in the right environment with the right coaching staff in the right locker room, you can take a player or two like that and have success maybe, I won't say rehabilitating the player, but being able to blend that fair player into the fabric of the team. Yeah, I think, Bucky, that's something that hasn't been discussed a whole lot today, or I haven't heard it. And again, I will absolutely trust you. If you knew Calvin coming up, uh, everything you hear is that he's a good kid. Um, so, but if you're uncertain at all, because the fact that he stepped away from the game in uh, 2021, uh, mm -hmm. it does raise that issue. Uh, I think 
the Jaguars are getting more and more confident in the locker room they've built in terms of Christian Kirk's going to be in the room with them, if you follow me. I think overall, I never pretend to know NFL players because we're only in the locker with them a few minutes a week, JP. But it feels like a good locker room on that front. So I do think there's a confidence level with Doug and Trent of, of being able to bring guys in and trust that this environment is going to be, I guess, a nurturing one, for lack of a better word. Uh, yeah, but let's even go beyond that because you got to remember Doug Peterson was heavily influenced by his relationship with Andy Reid. Uh, let's think about the things that Kansas City has been able to do in terms of taking players who might have been troubled players elsewhere, but they find a way to be very, very productive for them. And so if you're Doug Peterson and you really stick to that Andy Reid code and you feel like you're building your team in a similar fashion, you have a locker room that is very supportive and com- competitive and you can bring out the best in players, why wouldn't you entertain that? Because when we talk about the risk in this deal, uh, the picks that you're giving up, I mean, we're talking about developmental picks at that. That's what they're considered. And so if it hits, great. If it doesn't, yeah, you lose a fourth or a fifth round pick and those things, but those aren't things that you necessarily lose sleep over. It's the first and second rounders that you worry about. Now, if Kevin Ridley hits, this is a big time move because it upgrades your wide receiver core and it gives Trevor Lawrence another experienced receiver around him to help him develop into the player that everyone wants him to be. All right, that's the news for the 2023 Jaguars. We'll return and discuss the 2022 edition of the team and their matchup this week against the Las Vegas Raiders. The Jags have now dropped five in a row, and how can they snap that skid? We'll get into Bucky's head on that and discuss the Raiders coming up as well. Huddle Up with Bucky Brooks is brought to you by Fields Auto Group Jacksonville. Step up to luxury, fieldsauto.com. This is Huddle Up with Bucky Brooks on the Jaguars Digital Network. Number one, you got to be honest, you know, with the player, um, and and that's good and bad, right? And, and you just you're up front with them, and you got to have constructive dialogue, you know, with with him and, and with really with all your players and your team. And and uh, I, I never want to be someone that wants to kind of sugarcoat anything. Uh, I, I think we have to be honest that way, even even in my performance um, as well. And you know, in, in taking that, I think from what I learned in, in Philly during that time is just just doing that being. Uh, being open and honest, and, and really, sometimes you got to have tough, diff- you know, tough conversations with with players, and um, you know whether it's a quarterback or not. And you know, it, it's it, we're going to work through everything together, and and that's what we do. And and uh, you know, we we dig ourselves out of whatever we're in, and and you know, continue to improve. That's the head coach, of course, earlier today, Doug Peterson, the full press conference available on Jaguars.com. And welcome back. It's Huddle Up with Bucky Brooks. It's Wednesday. It's week nine. Bucky is in the middle of your screen. I'm on the left of the screen. John Osier is on the right. The Jaguars have lost five in a row after a two and one start to fall to a record of two and six. They'll come back home to face the Las Vegas Raiders, who were shut out last week in New Orleans. We'll get to the Raiders coming up, but. The comments here of Doug Peterson, yeah, in key moments still, Trevor Lawrence turning the ball over, down in first and goal at the one, the roll to the right, and just had to keep rolling and tried to force it in there. And that was a, a huge takeaway in the second quarter of the game at Wembley last week and then on the opening play of the two-minute drive to try to rally back um, through a pick as well and on just a misfire out to the right side. And 
um, some of those things have to get cleaned up. We, we talk about that a lot, Bucky, but I, I was in, I was intrigued by his answer there of how you just go right after it and, and you can't sugarcoat things with a quarterback. No, I think, I think with players, you have to be clear and direct in your assessments. And I think great coaches hold players accountable for their actions, but they also can praise them and give them uh, the positives when they need to do that. But I think for Trevor Lawrence, I think Doug has to have that conversation because what happens is if you don't have that conversation with the quarterback, if you don't hold a quarterback to a high standard, yet you're holding everybody else on the team, it brings about a level of resentment in the locker room. And so if we talk about operating and playing to a championship standard, everyone has to play like that. And when you fall short of that standard, you have to be called out on it. Now, it doesn't have to be in a necessarily embarrassing fashion, but you have to have those conversations. So for Doug to sit there and talk about that, he understands it. He's been a, a Super Bowl winner. He's also been a player in this league. And the one thing that you one thing that you want as a player is you want to be told the truth, because if you told the truth, whether you like it or not, the one thing that you can say is at least they told me. I'm not surprised by it. I know exactly what I'm stepping into. I also understand my role. Uh, I think for Doug to have that conversation with Trevor Lawrence and others, it's essential, particularly at this stage of the season. When you're sitting at two and six and you're trying to figure out how to get out of this rut, you have to have open, honest uh, dialogue to try and figure out the best way for this team to move forward. Well, I also think there's a uh, element of Doug knows this is a long-term thing. Uh, it's not. It, it is about this season. You'd love to rattle off nine in a row and get in the playoffs, but there's also a a tone you want to set where you want to make sure players for the long term, meaning other players, know that uh, Trevor's going to be held to that same standard. Uh, and I think that is a lot of Doug's messaging this year has felt like it's about now, but the moves and the messaging is also is also about the future and how you move forward. I have a question for the uh, scout. Maybe. Um, okay, here we go. Scout's ready. Uh, what uh, when you look at Trevor, um, everybody's everybody wants to know. I mean, every email I get this week, if I get a hundred of them, there's eighty of them wanting to be benched, which is absolutely ridiculous uh, mm. because it's not going to happen, nor should it. But what are you seeing? Um, I guess that concerns you. And in the counter, what do you like overall? Because I still like a lot about what you're seeing overall, but you can't not say that there's not some concerning stuff right now. Yeah, no, just like us, we got to be honest about what we're seeing, what we're, what we're seeing from the quarterback. Uh, what I like about the quarterback, first and foremost, I think he's super talented. Um, I think he has supreme talent. I think he has the talent to be an elite quarterback in this league, from his arm talent to his athleticism to the intangibles that you need to have to be a franchise quarterback. Smart, tough. Um, does a great job of leading his team. Uh, the things that you're worried about are, two, decision-making, particularly down in the red zone, because that requires situational awareness, understanding how to live to play another down, and then the accuracy issues that have popped up consistently throughout his, his time in Jacksonville. Uh, he misses a handful of throws that you expect elite quarterbacks to be able to make consistently. Now, he turns around and makes some absolute dimes, uh, like high-end throws, high-level throws that you want to see from the upper echelon quarterbacks. But it's a level of consistency with the ball placement that you would like to see so he can operate this offense efficiently. But the one thing is the situational awareness and being able to know, you know what, I probably should throw this one away. I need to live to fight another down. I need to understand where the team is at in this moment and make sure I don't do anything to compromise the team's opportunity to score points 
and to win games. Uh, I will say this because sometimes it's overlooked in the scouting process. How many close games did Trevor Lawrence really play in, not only in college, but in high school? When you've won to the level that he's won, but if you may not have played in close games, you don't understand how valuable the ball is. So you can be a little careless and reckless in those things. And so we can say, look, man, the Jaguars have lost nine straight one-score games, six straight this year. He's had a hand in a bunch of those with his turnovers, and eventually he has to learn, but he's learning on the fly. And sometimes, man, you have to touch the stove before you realize it's hot. At some point, it's going to click with him that when I'm in the red zone, I can't make these bad decisions because I'm killing our team. I like that. Hand off the stove, John. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's uh... – that's a good one. That's a good one. I, I I can't even follow that, JP. Pretty good. That was it, it does. Too good. That's why his name's on the show. That's true. I mean, uh, it is helpful when you have a running game that's starting to get rolling again. And uh, boy, Travis Etienne was on a roll going into Wembley with three straight games over 100 scrimmage yard makes uh, 100 scrimmage yards make it four in a row now as he explodes and. It just it just felt a little different than past running games for ETN, Bucky. Just the style that he ran, and like he was putting pads down and running through guys, and he had that added burst. He turned three and four yard runs into seven and eight yard runs, and that was a little different feeling. Hey, look, man, this dude is the real deal. Uh, Travis Etienne has been a big time playmaker throughout his time at Clemson, and we're seeing why people are so fascinated and smitten by him in the draft process. He has the ability to turn uh, plays into big, explosive plays. Like, this is a guy who was a monster working between the tackles and getting on the perimeter. And, you know, his style is, I won't say a little unorthodox, but it's not like smooth and a gliding running style. It's a little herky-jerky, but when he puts his foot on in the ground and he accelerates, Man, he has the ability to go from zero to 60 quickly. Uh, and what we're seeing now is why some of those comparisons during the pre-draft process compared Etienne to Alvin Kamara. Because it's not only his ability to make plays as a runner, but his ability to make things happen in the passing game that gets you excited. And whenever someone in college puts the ball in the paint 78 times, they have a knack for the goal line. They have a nose for the goal line. He has that, and each and every week as he gets more opportunities, you're beginning to see why he's that franchise caliber back. I'm really excited about where he is, but I also wonder this. As Doug Peterson is evaluating the team, and this is right around the time when you do this, you're eight games in, and there was a style of play that you wanted to utilize. Well, now we've played eight games, and now you know who your playmakers are. I do wonder as we continue to go, does he become the centerpiece of the offense and not 16? Does it become a little more running back centric and not as much Trevor Lawrence centric as this team is building this offense and as they're trying to get back into the playoff race? Well, I think you've seen the answer the last couple of weeks. It seems it is gearing toward that. And I've said it the last couple of weeks. It's fascinating to me. I really missed on ETN. I thought during, I mean, I guess it's, it's fair because I only see him in OTAs in football. I mean, in the NFL, and, and I didn't think he was going to be a major story this year. I thought he would be a supplemental story. I thought he would make some plays. In no way did I think he would be the featured go-to back. Not just because of the list, Frank, but he didn't. Uh, I was looking during OTAs to see just blinding, blazing speed, like Tyreek Hill speed. 
And I really didn't see that, and I wondered where he was going to be effective because I I didn't expect him to be this instinctive a runner. Uh, his vision is off the charts good, and then his ability to make plays off of what he sees, his instincts, all those running back things. Uh, on our Jaguars drive time this morning, I, I sort of raised the question a little bit tongue-in-cheek so far, but maybe not. Is he a Rushmore Jaguars running back? Is that where he's headed? And, yes. and the Rushmore is impressive <laughs> around here. I mean, Fred Taylor and Maurice Jones-Drew are franchise-defining players. So it's obviously way premature to talk about that. But the way he runs, if he stays healthy, he, he's a much better, more complete NFL running back. And his toughness is so impressive for a guy of his size because he doesn't feel huge, JP. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But he runs hard and and he runs smart. The only thing I question about how they can use him on the lines of of what Bucky's saying, are are they going to be able to use him big time in the red zone for power type stuff? I I still don't know if this offense is that. So I don't know if you can rebuild your red zone offense around that. Uh, But they sure seem to be redoing how they think they're going to move the ball between the 20s. And, he, again, he's impressive. He, he's as big a surprise to me for this level of effectiveness as I can remember around here. Okay, I'm going to give you the name, and I'm going to give you who he is and who he may be for our offense. He's Jamal Charles, when Jamal Charles was in the prime of his career with the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, that's good. I think Doug, I think Doug Peterson was there during that time. Uh, if you go back and you look at how Jamal Charles impacted that team, it was as a runner and it was as a big-time playmaker in the screen game and also on checkdowns. I think that's who Travis Etienne is. He has the ability to really impact it in that fashion. Now, the thing about Travis, which is is, is funny because he's fast, but I don't know if he's that Chris Johnson fast that we talk about, like when Chris Johnson was really killing it for the Tennessee Titans. I don't know if he's that because he top ends out right around 50 yards where they kind of bring him down. He's a little different. We talk about Fred Taylor. Fred Taylor takes those to the house. He cribs them all day. So when we talk about the Mount Rushmore, I do believe he's trending to that. We don't want to give away Teal Jackets right now after a four-game run that has been spectacular, but he certainly is. Fred Taylor, MJD, he's right there in terms of being a franchise-caliber back. I think what you also see is why the Jaguars were okay moving on from James Robinson. Before, because the more opportunities that Travis has had, the more big plays that have started to come. And so I think with this offense and the way they want to operate it, it's not an old-school ground-and-pound offense, but you certainly want to have a balanced running game that has some of that pop that he's been able to provide. Well, you know me, JP. We talk enough football. I, I think most running backs in the NFL these days are pretty interchangeable. I mean, uh, this kid does not fit into that category. He, he's, I mean, most running backs pretty much get you the yards that are there, mm-hmm. and they might get a yard or two more. Uh, but Travis, you don't get a 49-yard run. I mean, in the last three games, he's had a 48-yard run plus. Uh, you don't get 48-yard runs plus just running what the offensive line gives you. You have to create – that kind of yards with your own ability and your own vision and that special stuff. In uh, 2000, this was 2000, my last year covering the Jags for the paper, 
Fred Taylor went on a run that year. I think he had nine straight 100-yard games. And the number of breakaway runs he had during that stretch was unbelievable. I'd never – to me, it felt like I was covering Barry Sanders in his prime. And uh, Fred certainly proved to be that level of back. Um, again, I'm not going to put Travis on Fred's level because Fred, to me, is top 15, mm-hmm. top 20 of all time. But the consistency with which he makes plays – that are explosive at that position in this day and age, it's really impressive. I, again, I just didn't expect it. Right. It's, it's impressive. We've got uh, plenty to get to. We'll come back. We've got to get to the defense. They've given up fourth quarter leads, and they did it again at Wembley. We'll try to get some answers from Bucky on how to slow that trend down. And we've got to talk about the Las Vegas Raiders, a team that's 2-5, and five, and they got shut out last week. They still have some pieces on that offense, certainly. And your social media questions coming up. It's Huddle Up with Bucky Brooks on the Jaguars Digital Network. We had a game just like that this season where where we held a held a team to zero, and then you know next thing you know they're over thirty points the next next time we play them. So each week's different, and each game plan is different, and. The set of circumstances are different, and you, you, you put the past in the past, and you focus focus on the current. So, um, I would expect a different you know Raider team this weekend. That's head coach Doug Peterson today when asked about the Raiders' shutout loss last week. And welcome back. It's huddle up with Bucky Brooks, J.P. Shadrick, John Ozier alongside the Jags and the Raiders game presented by CSX Sunday one o'clock. Yeah, the Raiders got shut out in New Orleans last week, but we were just talking about Travis Etienne's run here of four games over 100 scrimmage yards before last week's game. Josh Jacobs was on that kind of run for the Las Vegas uh, Raiders and was over 100 for three straight, and they still have Devontae Adams, yes. They still have the tight end's been banged up. We'll see if he comes back. But Jacobs is really off to a good start here, Bucky, on the ground for, for the Raiders. Yeah, off to an outstanding start. And, you know, for a guy who has played a ton during the preseason because he was still trying to become one of Josh McDaniels' guys, he has become the foundation and the focal point of their offense. This is a guy you talked about, four straight games where he was getting busy as the lead runner. He gives them a physical presence. And I'll be honest, when they run the offense through him, they're a very, very difficult offense to stop because now you have to put an extra defender in the box, which exposes your coverage against Hunter Renfro and Devontae Adams and Darren Waller if he's available. Um, the thing about this team, they led an egg against the New Orleans Saints. Josh Jacobs only got 10 carries. Typically, when you get smacked down and you have a disappointing effort like that, it's back to the basics. So I would expect to see a heavy dose of Josh Jacobs and the Jaguars defense has to be ready to stop the running game because you got to stop the run and you have to do that to have any chance of being able to get Derek Carr in the kind of situations that you want to to be able to get after him and force him into some turnovers. Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, worrisome on that front because at, as much as you like a lot of pieces of this defense, I mean, the Jaguars' defense, and as much as you like a lot of the extended time that they've played or as much as you like the way they've played for extended periods, in the last four weeks they've given up uh, go-ahead touchdowns in the last six minutes. And in in the NFL in this day and age, I, I've been saying for the last three or four years, it just feels like more and more your ranking, all that stuff, your total yards, even your points allowed in a scoring league like it is now, 
Defense is about what you do in the last quarter. And it's it's about getting off the field at big moments, pressure in big moments, a turnover to break serve, if you will. And this defense has failed for four straight weeks at that. And I, I, I don't quite know. I mean, I, I guess I'm asking the coach. <laughs> yeah, you know? you're, you're all over the board on Bucky today. GM, yeah, I mean, uh, scout, coach now. Yeah, there's – how do you break and and John not to jump on top no. of you here, but those rankings get you to that point where yeah. it comes down to the end. Bucky, is it as simple as I mean, I look at it and 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 you clearly have not to knock on Trey Herndon, but you clearly have it at one corner a tough spot, and then mm-hmm. to me that allows defenses to sort of feel comfortable throwing the ball sometimes quickly, negating the pass rush somewhat, and I get that the pass rush still has to get home. But is it that simple, or at the end of games, is there anything you can point to? No, it's tough because I feel like this is a defense with mixed match parts, meaning the front is really solid. The front wants to have a five-man front so they can beat you up and stop the running game. And when they've been able to hold up their end of the bargain on the back end, they have shown the ability to beat people up at the line of scrimmage and eliminate the running game. The issue that you have is, Mike Caldwell and the coaching staff is trying to figure out what's the best way to play with the pieces that we have assembled on the perimeter. Trey Herndon, Tyson Campbell, uh, you think about Cisco and Claybooks and some of the other guys that are kind of jumping into rotation. When you play man-to-man, the speed deficiencies are exposed. Trey Herndon is not a fast guy in coverage. And we've seen when he gets locked up too often in man-to-man, the quarterback finds him and they get the big play over top of the defense. The issue is when you go to zone, you don't necessarily have guys who are what I call ball hawks or guys that can play in space because they have great feet and instincts and diagnostic skills and those things. And so when you're Mike Caldwell and you're trying to figure out the coverage to pair with the pressure, you're spinning the wheel because you don't know if I can play uh, an overabundance of man coverage because I know I have some deficiencies. If I play too much zone, then they nickel and down the ball down the field and we never get home just like the Indianapolis Colts. And so you're tough. You're really struggling because you're trying to figure out how can I help my players but still get the tight coverage that I need to be able to pressure the quarterback and knock him around. And to me, some of that, and this could be just you know dead wrong, but it feels like you give up drives late because at some point, play the game, play the game, play the game, the other offense sort of figures out. It felt like the Giants sort of figured it out by the second half what the Jaguars really couldn't do that day to stop them. Uh, felt a little bit like, like that against Denver as well. You know, really good early. And then the Broncos kind of figured out, Russell Wilson, a veteran quarterback, kind of figured out some of the things that he could get done against that defense. Um, I hope that changes. I, I, I'm not sure where I'm going with that, but that's what it seems like. And I think it's, that's what they've got to get fixed. Well, that's the reality of it. The reality of it is when we've been victimized, it's been man-to-man coverage. And the thing is, the athletes that you've assembled on the perimeter, they're built to be man-to-man cover guys, but they haven't been able to get it done consistently. Uh, man-to-man coverage is great because you have tighter coverage. Uh, you, you force the quarterback to make lower percentage throws. But the issue is, if you don't have guys who are outstanding uh, speedsters or they don't have great ball skills, you see the ball fly over the top of the defense. When you go zone, it's, man, are you patient enough to deal with the constant barrage of nickel and dimes and checkdowns and short passes going up and down the field and Matt Matt Ryan looking like MVP Matt Ryan only to get benched the week later playing somebody else. And so it is the challenge of Mike Caldwell trying to figure out what can I do 
to get the pressure that I want to get home, but I can't cover. And the league is changing because the ball is coming out so quick that it's hard to get to the quarterback unless you have dynamic cover guys on the perimeter. Where the issue really is, is the personnel. Tyson Campbell is a solid number two corner. The guy who is expected to be your number one, Shaq Griffin, has underperformed. And so now the hopes that you had going into the year, you can't play the way that you want to play because you have a guy that can't play to that level, and so it hurts you. Yeah, and he's on IR, so uh, all of a sudden you got to backfill that also, and um, there, there's some questions. And by the way, K.J. Hamler runs a 4-3. So um, <laughs> in that moment, hey, run past the guy and we'll throw it to you. That's what happened on the opening drive of or the opening play of that drive for Denver in the fourth quarter. Uh, let's come back in a moment and your social media questions and we'll wrap it up. It is Huddle Up with Bucky Brooks on the Jaguars Digital Network. Do we play the Raiders this week? <laughs> I'm just wondering. I'm just wondering. I mean, we got a game on Sunday. We're talking about a player that won't be here for hopefully for months, you know. That is head coach Doug Peterson about 15 minutes into his press conference today, by the way, when uh, they kept asking him about uh, Calvin Ridley, who will be here in, hopefully in 2023. Welcome back. It's Huddle Up with Bucky Brooks, J.P. Shadrick, John Osier. And we look outside, as always. We're in the cave here in the bank underneath, but outside it's a nice, beautiful day in the low 80s. And there's a look at the Miller Electric Center moving along very nicely. And the uh, the roof structure on the grandstand has gone up since we were to London and back. So um, we're moving along. It'll be open and ready for business for training camp of next year, 2023. And Calvin Ridley will have a locker in that place. It's yeah. nice. I, I hope I have a locker. I would like a locker in our office in that place. That looks nice. Well, apparently he's getting a locker. Yeah, I mean, Bucky <laughs> asks and he like, receives. Yeah, I mean, While they're building it, you might as well ask and see. Like, the worst thing they can say is no. Just like a little locker with, like, you know, a little BB and a little 22 in the corner. Maybe some amenities and stuff like that. That's all. It'd be like Marina. They just put, like, a, a like a glass <laughs> case over his old locker. Yeah. Like, I was surprised they didn't do that with just, Bucky when he left here in the 90s. Just wheel it over to the new place and put it in the, the Hall of Fame or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. Uh, you know, got to ask for it. You never know. That's true. That is true. Hey, let's get to social media. We uh, put out the cat signal earlier today, and everybody wanted to talk about Calvin Ridley. So here we go. Uh, the first question at Dr. Cliffy. Thoughts on Ridley trade and the fact that we spent so much in free agency for wide receiver talent and the first thing we do is go for wide receiver is it a sign of free agency failure or just a good risk reward acquisition let the offseason and draft talk commence well that last part Bucky I don't think internally they agree with there's still nine games left they're close they feel like if they make a couple plays here or there they can fight back yes look I know it's his show but let me cut in here go ahead uh first of all it's not time for draft talk you know my policy JP senior bowl I talk about the draft when it comes to the senior bowl. Or when the team's officially eliminated. Now, That's my – There's enough. There's enough time for that. We've got four months. I mean, part of the problem with the draft is you got to listen to the Bucky Brookses of the world for four <laughs> months with, with, with Jeremiah yeah. on, the, on moving the sticks and all that. It's great. Yeah. But All his lists yeah. and top five <laughs> right. rankings, position rankings. Yeah, God. Bucky will rank something in, in April for you now. Don't Ooh, think he won't. Man. But it, yeah. it's uh, – um, I'll let Bucky talk in a second. Um, I don't think at all 
that it's a commentary on free agency last year, Bucky. I think with free agency last year, you were trying to do as much as you could with what was available in free agency and what you thought were going to be long-term fits. I don't think they thought that they were signing a big-time number one X in, in free agency last year. I think they thought they were getting a couple of guys in Zay Jones and Kirk who could help. Mm-hmm. And I think the long-term plan was always, at some point, we're going to try to find this X, number one stud receiver, mm-hmm. but you can't force that. If, if you try to force that, then you're going to bust out on it because you're going to go try to force the wrong guy. I, I think they wanted to get good there. And then when it came about, when the pitch came to him, if you will, JP's old world, they were able to hit it. They, you know, I think they waited for their pitch on this one, and they hit it. But it, I, I don't think it's a commentary on Christian Kirk and Zay Jones. No, I don't think it's a commentary on Christian Kirk and Zay Jones. I do believe it's a risk-reward scenario. I think what you're doing, if you're Trent Balky, you're trying to mitigate the risk um, of losing Marvin Jones as a free agent. You also are trying to reap the rewards of Maybe Calvin Ridley is a little better than we think. Worst case, you come in thinking, hey, could this dude be our number three receiver? If it's Christian Kirk and Zay Jones, is Calvin Ridley good enough to be our number three? Just based on him being rusty or anything like that. Best case scenario, maybe he comes, settles in in Jacksonville, shakes off the rust, and becomes the player that he was the last time we saw him play a full season, which was a high-end number one receiver that stepped in under a pressurized environment and replace Julio Jones. And so whether he's a one, whether he's a three, there's some value to having that player. And it also prevents you from having to maybe overspin to keep Marvin Jones, uh, overdraft a receiver in the first round who may not be up to stuff where it may take some time. So to me, it's just an insurance policy because there's not a lot of risk involved to me, it's all reward if Kevin Ridley is anything like the player that we saw the last time he was on the full, on the field full-time. Yeah, JP, as you know, I, GM's like nothing better than to have the depth chart sort of in place before the draft where they don't have to, you know, reach and draft for need. And I think this certainly puts them in a situation where they don't have to be desperate in the draft for wide receiver next year. And I frankly thought that they were going to be that if they hadn't made it. I mean, not desperate, but I think it was going to be hard for them not to go after a one to help Trevor if they hadn't made some sort of move like that. And I mean, they may have felt differently about that, but that was sort of the outside view of it. And by the way, if uh, what did the, the Jags uh, get for James Robinson, a sixth that could be a fifth, mm-hmm. right? Okay, this is what, a fifth? And if he yeah. signs it, it just keeps going up if the performance and everything indicates it. And so. I get that a lot of people listening to this love James Robinson, and I get it. But it, if you can make that trade for top running back or top wide receiver uh, in the NFL these days, yeah, you take top wide receiver all the way to Sunday. There you go. Um, one more question from uh, at Trevorville underscore rank Calvin Ridley among the top wide receivers in the NFL. It's been a little while since he's been out there, Bucky, but when he was right, where was he? Uh, when he was right, he was a fringe top 10 receiver. I mean, you go back and look at the numbers. The numbers are ridiculous of Calvin Ridley and what he put up uh, as a Falcons number one receiver. And that Falcons team wasn't great, but he was still able to do it. And he did it without Julio Jones being on the other side. And so to me, it proved that he could, handle the responsibilities of being a number one. Because 
we all kind of throw around the number one wide receiver label and those things. And I think for our franchise in Jacksonville, we always think about Jimmy Smith and Keenan McCardle. I love Keenan, but there's a difference in Keenan McCardle and Jimmy Smith. Jimmy Smith Keenan is the number one. Uh, Jimmy yeah, Smith Keenan, is the guy that Keenan you have to will remind team. you quickly <laughs> that nope, yeah. Haven't covered him in practice. There's a difference. <laughs> there's, a, there's a difference. Um, Jimmy Smith could anchor the passing game, could handle the double team, or whatever. Now, Keenan was a nice compliment. High-end number two, did a great job of working the middle of the field and those things. There's a difference. And so what you want is to make sure that the receivers that you're elevating. Because when we signed Christian Kirk, and I still think it's a great signing, we were asking him or anticipating him elevating from number two, number three to number one. Sometimes that can be a hard jump because you're dealing with a different thing. Because when you're the number one, the expectation is that you produce all the time regardless of coverage. You put the numbers up. doesn't matter if you got a double team. doesn't matter if you have a high-end corner facing you. The expectation is you get open early and often, and the ball comes to you, and you always finish with a high number of catches. That's what a number one does. He tilts the coverage in his direction. One final question for the scout. Okay. We're going to wrap up. Um, you know, For people who don't study the Falcons, uh, what is Ridley? Meaning, you know, I know he's fast and can run, but can he go get the ball in traffic? Is he, you know, what can fans expect when he does get here? You know, it's it's, it's funny because there's been a bit of a, a, a renaissance at the position. There was a, a, a time there where we went through the wide receiver position. It was all about bigger, faster, stronger. How fast were you? How explosive were you? How dynamic? And all of those things. And I think where we're at now, the guys who are winning on the outside are guys who are route runners. I would say that his game is more like the Justin Jefferson type than the Jamar Chase type, meaning he's more of the route runner. He's more precise. He's more crafty and tricky and has all the little things in his toolbox that enables him to get open. Not maybe the fastest, but finds a way to consistently get open, whereas a guy like Jamar Chase is a bigger, faster, stronger athlete who you just get the ball to and he makes it happen. And so when I go back and I look, and I was just looking at the stats, um, over 1,300 yards, nine or so touchdowns during that year where he really took over. I mean, we'll see. We'll see if he can get back to that. But when he was at his best, this dude was a very, very skilled playmaker who found a way to consistently move the chains and put the ball in the paint. All right, the uh, Jaguars and the Raiders coming up this Sunday at TIAA Bank Field in week number nine. The Jaguars have lost five in a row. The Raiders are two and five. The Jaguars two and six, trying to get back on track here. This week's game presented by CSX. How you feeling, Bucky, on this one? No, I think this is a tough one just because the Raiders are going to be smart enough to getting shut out uh, against the Saints. They were practicing at IMG, so they didn't go back to the West Coast. They stayed out east and so i would think that josh mcdaniels is probably going to simplify the game plan to allow this team to play fast that's it they're two and five we're two and six if you take away the running back and make Derek carr throw against the pass rush he can be got because their offensive line is a bit of a problem and so to me this is a game where uh we talk about the big sombrero who has to wear it it has to be up front the d-line if the d-line can stop the run the jaguar certainly can get after them 
on uh, defense. And then it's about Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence has to play well. He plays well. The Jaguars win. Sounds eerily familiar to last week's Denver team, right? That team was uh, two and four and had some offensive line issues. And guess what? Same thing. You know, same deal. Close game. Could have blown them out early. Could have put them to bed early. Got to take that, advantage if you get that chance now. If they're first and goal and it's two two scores, they had four defensive penalties on that drive, and then uh, they let them off the hook, John. But, I think the Jags get this one. I mean, I, because I don't think many people think they will. So I think they'll go against the grain. This week. Wow. Against the hey, what's grain. in that cup over there, JP? What's in that cup for John? He, I, he's I, never this I positive think it's and glowing. Teal he Kool-Aid. It. He caught teal, a shot right away. Teal Kool-Aid, I think, is what's in there. Just a little wow. Jaguar juice. Hottie toddy over there. <laughs> <laughs> Probably so. <laughs> hey, it's okay. It's a good thing. Hey, they, they're going to break it at some point. Why not at home? Uh, they're wearing all teal, by the way, on Sunday. That was just announced on social media, so we'll look forward to that as well. Bucky, have a great week. We'll see you on Sunday. Uh, for sure, man. Y'all be good. It's Bucky Brooks. He's out of here. John Osier. Our thanks to Brent Reaver on the video side. Joe Fortunato on the audio side. I'm J.P. Shadrick. We'll catch you next time. It's Huddle Up with Bucky Brooks on the Jaguars Digital Network.